How many of you guys went back to school this week? How many? All right. How many of you guys go back to school this next week? Anybody? Oh, Cozy's like, yeah, so, oh, a lot of the leaders. And then who like starts in September? Yeah. Yeah, wow. All right. So a mixed group in there. And regardless of when you went back to school, if you started this week, you know the feeling of going into school for the first day and you show up and guess what you get? The first part of the class, it's like, here's your syllabus. Syllabus, the dreaded syllabus. And you go to the next class and you got another syllabus and it's like, oh, here's what we're going to do this year. And you're like looking at it, you're like, man, this is like seven pages long when you get into college. You're like, why is it so big? It actually gets shorter into college because the assignments get bigger, so there's less assignments, but it's smaller. But maybe in like seventh or eighth grade, you got this big old syllabus and you're paying attention, okay, what do I need to do in this class? And you scroll down to the section where it's like, okay, what's like worth what? You see the finals worth X amount of percent. You've got midterm that's worth X amount of percent. You've got quizzes that could happen at any time. You've got homework, all these different assignments that you've got to get done. You say, okay, pay attention to the syllabus. I've got it. I'm, I'm ready, ready to go. Then you start going through this class. Let's say it's science class, and you're learning about the cell and the cell walls with plant cells, and it's just um, a cell membrane with the animal cells, and the mitochondria is the power of the cell, like the only thing you need to know in biology. No, you're like learning those different things, and the chloroplast and the plant cell, like all that stuff. You're like, okay, this is pretty easy, pretty good. You're doing your homework. You're doing well. And then Monday morning hits. One Monday, you show up to class, you walk into science class and you look at the board and it says, pop quiz. And you know that feeling. You know that feeling of you weren't really quite paying attention. You kind of half-heartedly did the homework and you see up there, pop quiz. And a couple things go through your mind. First is, ah! <laughs> You're like, what? I am not ready for this. The second is like, I should have been paying more attention in class. <laughs> I should have been paying attention. And you're like, maybe the third thing that comes to your mind is, how much time do I have until like the quiz actually starts so I can just start cramming in like as much as I can? Like, okay, I just got five minutes till class starts and we're gonna get five minutes. So you're like looking through the stuff really quickly, like, okay, this, 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 this. And you're like, man, I should have been paying more attention. Maybe you've had that experience where you see on, this, on the whiteboard, there's a pop quiz and you're a little freaked out. You're a little worried. You're like, man, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. Like, I think I'm going to fail. I've done that before. I've like, yeah, I've got a pop quiz. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't really do the homework. And guess what? I'm going to fail. I'm not looking forward to it. When pop quizzes come into our life, we are shocked. We're nervous. We're like, ah, I, I, I hope I don't fail. I don't think it's going to turn out super well. Well, the Christian life talks about these things called trials, which are essentially pop quizzes in the life of a Christian. And there are these events, these difficult and hard things that come into the life of a Christian that cause many Christians, when difficulty comes, to go, ah, and freak out, to get worried, to be concerned, to be frustrated, to be angry with these difficulties that come into a believer's life, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's an illness, whether it's family conflict. Maybe if it's in your age, you're struggling with school, these difficulties that come into the life of a Christian, and it can cause us to freak out can cause us to be worried, can cause us to be disheartened and discouraged and down. Well, in the book that we're going to look at, in James, the beginning of James, he's writing to people that are going through trials, going through a difficult time. And he wants them, and we should be wise to learn from it as well, that we should think differently about the trials that we go to. We should have a different response than one of worry, freaking out, and being afraid. What's the response we should have to trials? Let's look at James chapter 1. 
We're going to look at the first four verses. James in the book covers a bunch of different topics, kind of scattered, like here's a topic, here's a topic, there's a topic. And the first topic that's addressed here is how to deal with trials. How do we deal with these hardships that are inevitable to come in a Christian's life? Let's see the wisdom that James writes as the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. James writes this. This is James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So it starts it off, it's a letter to a group of Christians. And it starts off like a general introduction. Hey, James, here's my description. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is he writing this letter to? It says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Well, who is that? Who is James writing to? James, who's one of the leaders of the early church in the city of Jerusalem, he is writing to these people who, as the name says, dispersion. Think of the idea of dispersed. So these are Jewish Christians, so Jewish by nationality, but believers who are living outside of Jerusalem. They're kind of dispersed all around in the idea in the area of either Judea or Samaria or even past that. So they're kind of dispersed around. So it's written to a wide swath of believers. And he says, greetings. Now, it seems as if these people are going through a tough time because of what he says in verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why would you write that to someone? You would write that to someone if they're going through a difficult time. <laughs> you wouldn't say, Hey, count all joy when you're going through a tough time. It's like, Well, life's pretty good right now. Like, okay, what? what, what? No, they're going through a difficulty. They're going through hardship, a testing of their faith. And he says, Hey, don't encounter those trials with, oh, this is difficult. Oh, I'm angry. This is, I'm frustrated. He says, no, count it all joy. Be joyful about the trials and the difficulties, Jewish Christians, that you are going through. Well, why should I do that, James? What good is that? Look at verse three. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, so trials, these hardships and difficulties in the life of a believer, that's what a trial is, are meant to test our faith, to show the genuineness of our faith, to show, hey, man, my trust in Jesus, it's steady, it's, it's sure. And it brings about this thing called steadfastness, this endurance, this fortitude, this strength in the life of a believer. It says in verse four, and let steadfastness, this idea of endurance, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing, saying, hey, if you endure these trials, these difficulties well, and you build up this characteristic of steadfastness, endurance, guess what's going to come out at the end after these trials? You're going to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. What, what, James, are you saying I'm going to be perfect? If I go through a difficult life am I, and a difficult situation, am I going to be perfect after? It's like, no, we're never going to be perfect in this life. But guess what? The trials that we go through through the duration of our life is preparing us for when we are made perfect, when we're glorified, living in heaven, and made right with him. And guess what? As we live the Christian life, our aim each and every day to, should be to be more and more like Jesus, grow in this process called sanctification, greater and greater holiness, and looking forward to the day when we are made perfect. We can say, hey, these trials that I'm going through in these, this life, these difficulties bring about endurance that make me more like Christ that are going to culminate when I'm glorified with him. James wants us and the Jewish Christians as he's writing to, to be joyful during trials because they are meant to bring about greater holiness. It's a good thing. But maybe you're thinking, but Nathan, my, my life's pretty good right now. It's not, it's not that hard. 
Like I've been had like a difficulty that you mentioned earlier, like a loss of a family member, like, or a conflict with, with family, like a little disagreements, but it hasn't been that big of a deal. Like it hasn't been too hard. Maybe you're tempted because you're not going through a char right now. You're just going to say, well, I'm not really going to listen to this sermon because life's pretty good. Well, if you're a Christian, guess what? Those things are going to come. And that's why for point number one, put it this way, you need to expect trials to come. You need to expect them to come. Trials are going to come. If you are a Christian, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be problem. There's going to be conflict. And you need to be ready for that. Even if you're a young Christian in this room, maybe you haven't experienced the things that your leaders have gone through. I think most of you probably haven't. And they could tell you different trials and difficulties that they've gone through. And maybe not even the leaders, but maybe even older people that gone through more trials. And guess what? As you're a Christian, they're going to come more and more and more. Don't be naive to think, it's not going to happen to me. Life's going to go fine. There's going to be no problems. No, as a Christian, trials are part of what you sign up for. It's part of the job description. It's like, imagine if one of you was signing up to be a Marine. Let's say, let's say Ben right here. Ben wants to be a Marine. Or does anybody, any of the, anybody want to be a Marine? Uh, Paxton. Okay, we'll use Paxton. Paxton says, I want to be a Marine. It's like, sign me up to be a Marine. He goes through all the, you know, filling out the application online. He meets with the recruiter. He gets set up. He's like, all right, boot camp. It, it starts tomorrow. It starts tomorrow. You go to boot camp. You get in there. You sleep, and it's all right. The next morning starts boot camp. He's sleeping, Paxton, he just, he's got his teddy bear. No, I'm checking. No. <laughs> he's sleeping there in a, at boot camp, and they wake him up at 4 a.m. Say, Paxton, wake up, wake up, wake up. Get on the ground, do some push-ups right now. Paxton's like, whoa, like, what's going on right now? Like, get on the ground, do some push-ups. And he's like, okay, okay, I'm doing some push-ups. They're like, all right, now run a mile, run a mile, go, go run a mile. And he's running around, and he's like, dude, what is happening right now? And they say, do some more push-ups. And he's doing push-ups, doing pull He's like, Paxton's like, what's all this? What is this? I didn't sign up for this. I just want to be a Marine. Well, why am I doing all these push-ups and these pull-ups and these, like, I just wanted to wear the uniform, get the, get the badges, you know, walk around, say, oh, I'm in the Marines, look at me. Uh, it's like, I, I, what's all this running and workout stuff? You'd be like, Paxton, Paxton, listen here. <laughs> to be a Marine, you're kind of signing up for these hard things. You're signing up to work out. You're going to grow big muscles because of all the physical endurance that you're going through. That's part of the job description, part of what you're going to endure in being part of the Marines. Well, guess what? Part of what we're signing up for in being, say, yeah, I'm going to follow Christ. Guess what? It's trials. It's difficulty. It's pain. It's suffering. It's hard situations. 2 Timothy 2.3 says to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, share in suffering. Guess what? There's suffering that comes alongside with being a Christian. And guess what? You as a believer get to share in suffering. Welcome to the narrow. Yeah. Share in suffering. As a, as a good soldier is how he puts it. Think about the training and the difficulty that soldiers go through, whether it's in the training process or even being a soldier out on the field. It's hard. It's intense. We should not expect the Christian life to be easy. Is it not worth it because it's difficult? No, it's worth it. But guess what? It's going to be hard. not going to be easy. You shouldn't be caught off guard by it. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4 talks about how if we say, oh man, 
what's this hardship that's coming in my life? If we're a Christian, we shouldn't be like, this is, what is this? We shouldn't be caught off guard by the difficulties that come in our life in being a follower of Christ because they're going to come. Turn 1 Peter chapter 4, look down at verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Say, hey, believer, guess what? There's going to be trials, and the description here is fiery trials. Oh, that sounds fun. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go run through some fire. It's like, well, it's going to be difficult. But don't be surprised when it comes. Don't be like, whoa, what, what is this? Like the Marine, like, what, I'm supposed to do push-ups? This is weird. What? I got to do push-ups in the Marines? It's like, no, dude, it's, it's what you signed up for. Don't be surprised. It says, as though something strange were happening to you. It's like, I got to run in the Marines? This is strange. This is weird. It's like, it's, it's not that strange. It, it's, it's part of the job description. Verse 13 says, but rejoice, be joyful. It connects over to what James is saying in James 1, 2, count it all joy. Be joyful. Why? Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Guess what? Christ suffered Part of you saying, I'm following Christ, is you're going to suffer too. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Christ suffered, we're going to suffer as well. Jesus says that in John 16, At the end, he says to his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. All right, disciples, you ready? I'm about to leave here soon in the upper room discourse. John 16, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Right? Probably not a word to use. The idea of affliction, suffering, pain. In this world, that's what you're going to have. It's going to be tough. Jesus experienced persecution, suffering, difficulties as well. Turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 talks about how we're going to go through difficulties and trials, and we shouldn't be, as 1 Peter 4 says, surprised by them, because Jesus also went through difficulties. He went through suffering. He went through great persecution. And he wasn't like, this is strange, this is weird. He said, no, I knew this was going to happen. We should expect the same thing. For John 15, look down at verse 18. It says this, also in the Upper Room Discourse, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Yeah, the world hates you, guess what? Why it hates you, Christian, which Christian, the term means little Christ, like follower of Christ, hates you because it hated me. Jesus says that. Verse 19, if you were of the world, so you said, oh, I don't want to be a follower of Christ. I just want to do what the world says. The world would love you as its own. Guess what? It'd be easy. The world would embrace you. But because you are not of the world, it says, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's going to be persecution, which persecution is a subset of trials. Trials can be a wide range of things, but here we're speaking specifically about persecution for our faith. People doing wrong things to us because we're followers of Christ. Verse 20, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Say, hey, that's what you signed up for, part of the job description. Uh, Jesus is the master. We're his servant. And guess what? What does a servant do in relationship to his master? 
Servant follows whatever the master does, listens to the master, submits to the master. The master's in charge of the servant. The term even here in John chapter 15 for servant is the word doulos or slave. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they're slaves to to Christ. They're going to follow and listen to whatever he does. And guess what? The master, Christ, he was persecuted. So also servant means, hey, guess what? You're going to be persecuted. And part of being a servant means suffering for Jesus. That sounds difficult. Well, if you're a servant, you're a slave of Jesus, you're going to follow him no matter what suffering comes, no matter what pain comes, and there's going to be a lot of it. And it's interesting that in James 1, 1, James's description of himself is a servant. He doesn't try to hide away from, yeah, man, I'm a servant of Jesus. He says, no, let me summarize who I am. James, which James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So not the full brother because Jesus is half Holy Spirit, half Mary, you know, God, man, come together. So, but James, the brother of Jesus, who at first was kind of skeptical about Jesus, like, oh man, he says that the siblings of Jesus thought he was kind of crazy. He was weird. They're like, oh, Jesus is a weird guy. But after he rose from the dead, they said, oh man, Jesus is the Messiah. And he rose and he appeared to different people. And James became a devout follower of Jesus. And the description of himself is, hey, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. Think about it. Jesus Christ is his brother, and he's saying, hey, I'm a slave to my brother. <laughs> Could you imagine saying that if you got another, another sibling? Yeah, I'm a slave to my sibling. I'm a servant to my sibling. It's like, no, no one wants to do that. But he banners and is unashamed to say, hey, I'm a servant of Christ. And guess what? I'm going to be a servant when times are easy, and I'm going to be a servant even in the trials when times are hard. We should know if we're signing up to be a servant, a follower of Christ, there's going to be hardship that comes, but it's worth it. We need to embrace our identity as slaves. And as he's writing to these believers in, in the book of James, they know it very well. It's like, hey, to be a, be a servant, to be a slave means to follow even when it's difficult. They know that well. Well, how do they know that well? We said that the people that James is writing to are in the dispersion, which means they're dispersed around the area. Why are they dispersed around Jerusalem? Why aren't the Jewish believers all in the center of Jerusalem? This is why. Because the church was experiencing a lot of persecution, a lot of suffering. Christians were being killed for their faith. Acts 8, verse 1, talks about how Saul, who Saul before he became Paul, Saul before he became a Christian, he was out there killing Christians, killing them, because he didn't like them. He said, no, they're, what they're doing is wrong. He said, no, we should stop. They're blaspheming God, is what he would say. And he's out there killing Christians. And part of that persecution, that wasn't just characteristic of Saul, of all, a, a lot of the majority of the Jewish individuals who weren't Christians, well, it was great persecution happening, which would cause the Christians to say, hey, we're going to disperse out of Jerusalem. Acts 8.1 talks about this. It says there arose on that day, this is the day that Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was killed and Saul was there kind of giving approval of it. On that day there arose great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So the believers in the church of Jerusalem, it's great persecution. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So these Christians that are now scattered because of this persecution, they're not like, oh wait, trials are going to come, difficulties are going to come. They're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because guess what? Our lives are at stake. We're very much at risk of being 
harmed, being killed for what we believe. They know it. They know that trials are going to come. Do we know that trials are going to come for us as well? What are the trials that you might experience in the future? Maybe it is in the future persecution for your faith. Maybe it's not to the extreme of what the Jewish Christians in the book of James had to deal with, but it might be. Might be. The animosity towards believers is going more and more and more and more and more. And the generation that you are, when you're older, when you you get college and and past that, and you have kids and you got families, guess what? It's going to be even more intense persecution against Christians here in America than it is even right now. It's going to be a trial that you're going to go through. Even if it's not your life's at stake, if you're a Christian, there is going to be some sense of persecution for your faith because guess what? People are going to want to hang out with you. The world's going to say, we hate you. We looked at that passage already in John 15. We don't want to do with you. That's a, that's a trial to go through. People abandoning you. You feeling lonely because people don't want to hang out with you. What about family conflict? I already mentioned that as a trial that you might go through. I know a lot of you guys, maybe, or hopefully not a lot, but some of you guys have had parents that gotten divorced. It's difficult. That's a hard time. That would be a trial that you had to go through or you will have to go through. Lord willing, Hopefully not. Severe illness, pain, going to the hospital. Those are trials and difficulties that we're going to have to go through if you haven't already. The death of a family, friend, loved one, struggle, disappointment at school. You need to be ready for that. Don't expect it to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But guess what? As James 1, 2, look back. It says, we should count it all joy. That idea of count is, is a, a mental decision. Count, it's consider, think about. How we should respond to trials is to think differently about them. How should we think about them? We should think about them with joy when we meet these trials. Point number two, put it this way, you need to learn to be joyful during trials. Learn to be joyful. What does joy look like during trials? Well, let's first talk about what joy is not during trials. Joy in trials is not ignoring my problems, saying, oh yeah, I've got this difficulty. I'm just going to ignore it and just pretend like I'm happy and everything's okay. That's not what joy is during trials. Joy in trials is not um, being masochistic and like really enjoying the pain and the suffering. Like, yeah, I just love this hurt that I'm going through. Like, I love it. It's like, that's like kind of weird. Like, like, that's, not, that's not what joy is during trials. Joy in trials is not being careless, like, oh, I don't care about my problems. I'm just going to pretend to be happy and like with rainbows and unicorns, like floating on a cloud when things are terrible. Like, yeah, who cares? It doesn't matter. No, it's not. I define joy this way. Maybe you want to write down this, adi- this uh, definition. Joy is a decisive attitude of gladness. Joy is a decisive attitude of gladness in response to God's character and work. I'll say that again. Joy is a decisive attitude of gladness in response to God's character and work. First part of that definition, joy is a decisive attitude. It's a mental decision. You have to choose to be joyful. When things are tough, you don't want to be joyful, (laughs) I mean, like, say you got to go in for a surgery. 
I've had surgery before. It's like, it's very easy to be like, I'm not looking forward to this. I'm supposed to think differently about that, that difficulty. Say, I'm going to be joyful about it. And I think it's really hard for us to think about being joyful during trials because we, we're not even joyful when things are going well. We're not even happy when times are good. We're grumbling. We're complaining about my siblings, about my parents, about my teachers now at school and the homework that they assign. And things aren't even that tough, but I'm just finding everything to complain about. The food that my parents make, my, my siblings doing this to me. It's like we're complaining all the time. We're grumbling. Well, can we learn first to be joyful when times are well before we even think about being joyful during trials because it's all the more difficult? Can we be joyful in general? The word for joy here in James 1, 2 is um, the word in Greek called, uh, the word in Greek, kara, kara. And it's interesting that if you look in Greek, the word for grace is charis. So joy is kara, Grace is charis. Sounds kind of similar, right? Kara, charis. It shows the connection between joy and grace. Joy and grace, grace. God giving us things that we don't deserve. Undeserved pleasure and goodness towards us. Can we be joyful, kara, as a result of God's grace, charis, his kindness towards us? We need to cultivate a joyful attitude by being more grateful individuals. Being more thankful for what we have. Being more appreciative, the minute things, taking the food that we have, the house that we have, the parents that we have, the church that we have, the leaders that we have, this ministry, uh, all the small things that we have, do we take it for granted? We complain about it. We whine. Let's be joyful in general when things are well, and can that carry over to be joyful during trials? Also need to show your joy. A song that kept coming up in my mind as I was thinking through joy this week. Maybe you learned it as a kid. It's, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Wait, no, you guys got to do the question. Down in my heart. Where? Yeah, there we go. Down in my heart. And it's like, unfortunately, that's how a lot of Christians live. I've got the joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. I'm not showing it. It's going to stay right down there in my heart. It's like, can we, can we show that joy? It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to smile, but, I, but I've, I'm joying. I've got the joy on the inside. It's like, but we're not going to smile ever. No, no I'm not going to smile. Can, can, we, can we show that joy? Can we live out that joy? It's not just meant to stay down in my heart, to stay. It's like, no, like, let's show that joy. Let's be joyful with our attitudes, with our dispositions, not naive and ignoring our problems and acting like they're no big deal, but deciding the mental decision as we put a decisive attitude of being gladness because I can ponder and I can think about God's character, who he is, and what he's done in my life regardless of my life's difficult right now. Because guess what? No matter what trial you go through, guess what's a constant? God is good. If you are extremely sick, guess what? God's still good. If you go through a loss of a family member, guess what? Even in that, God is still good. If you lose a pet, God is still good. If you're struggling at school, God is still good. If your parents are having conflict, God is still good. If you're upset and there's conflict with your siblings, God is still good. And we can find things to be thankful and be joyful about. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say rejoice. Always. When to be joyful? Always. Ah, uh, except for trials. Except for when I don't feel like it. No. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In James 1, 2, it says, count it all joy. All joy. Does that mean I can't be frustrated when I'm going through something difficult? That's not the idea that all joy is showing. The idea of all joy is not exclusively joy. It's not just being joyful. So it's a, it's okay to sometimes when you're going through a tough time to mourn. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. But the idea of all joy is the idea of immense joy, great joy. Why? Because the thing I'm going through stinks? No, that's not why. Because there's so many other things I can be thankful for. But not only that, because Jesus himself patterned what it looks like to be joyful in the midst of trials. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, not a passage we have time to turn to, but go ahead and look at that this week. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, talks about it. Even when Jesus went through difficulty, you know what he didn't do? He didn't sin. When he was going through a hard time, guess what? He didn't complain. He didn't whine. Even when they were nailing him to the cross, it says he didn't revile. He didn't slander. He didn't threaten them. Think about it. Jesus, the one who's going to judge all of us one day, he could have threatened the Romans being like, hey, you, you don't want to do this because I'm going to judge you one day. <laughs> not, that's probably not a good sign for you. Like, <laughs> watch out. He didn't do that. He endured it. He went through it. Didn't sin by complaining, being anxious, worrying. No, he endured it with joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says that. It says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What? Jesus, the joy set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus? The cross. What? That's kind of weird. The shame. That isn't, what, what, was, joyful, was Jesus excited, joyful to be on the cross? What, why Jesus was able to be joyful, no matter what he experienced, was because he wasn't just looking at the difficulty that was ahead of him. He wasn't just looking at the suffering on the cross. He wasn't like, yeah, I can't wait to go on the cross. No, that wasn't his attitude, but he could be joyful because he didn't just look at the difficulty, but he looked at what came as a result of the difficulty. He said, okay, the result of me dying on the cross is what? People being saved, people not going to hell, people being made right with God. So when we're going through difficult times, can we be joyful by not just looking at the hard thing that we're going through, but looking past to what James 1.3 says, that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It brings about a good effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect, James 1.4 says, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why should we be joyful in trials? Because of the good that comes as a result of it. The steadfastness, the endurance. Ultimately, when we're glorified in heaven, more holy, but also in the day-to-day. -day. We need to view it that way. Point number three, we need to see trials, be joyful in them, as an opportunity for greater holiness. See trials as an opportunity for greater holiness. Why can we be joyful? During trials, well, first, because one day we're going to be perfected in heaven and be a lot more pure, but also because these trials in our life now, they bring about greater holiness, bring about a greater thing. Yes, they're rigorous and they're difficult and they are tough, but we say, hey, this is a good thing because of what it's going to produce. 
when I think of people going through tough things, and in this situation, it's them putting themselves in tough situations. It's, it's football players. You know, football season's coming up, and uh, if you're a guy, it's like the best time of the year because, you know, NFL's starting, and then college football's coming up, and then in, like, October, November, like, NBA starts and college basketball, and it's like, oh, the best time of the season. And uh, you girls are like, yeah, we don't care. Um, <laughs> but for a guy, it's like, yeah, the fall is the best because it's sports t- season. Like, let's go. Um, get my fantasy football. I just did a fantasy football league with uh, some of you junior high guys. It's like, yeah, let's go. Ready to go. And these athletes put themselves under extreme suffering, <laughs> willingly, to, to be in the NFL. I looked up this one regiment that this guy did, and he'd wake up at five to six every single day, and he'd start by flipping a thousand pound tires. <laughs> like, you know, those big old construction tires. It's like, all right, thousand pound. It's like, okay, if we added up all these, the weight of everyone here, it's like, all right, they flipped that tire. You, you, you guys can picture that, those big old tires. Then after that, he would do power cleans, 380 to 400 pounds. <laughs> like, you know, those, like, oh, let's go, let's go. Then he would do some back squats at 700 pounds. 700 pounds. Then with bench press, and uh, anywhere like, I mean, if it's taking an easy day, 400 pounds. If it's a more difficult day, 500 pounds. It's like, dude, what are you doing? And then they would stretch, which you're like, okay, stretching, that sounds easy. Have you ever tried like really stretching before? And it's like, not just like, oh yeah, touch my toes. Like some of your leaders, like, I mean, I can experience this now. It's like, I can't even touch my toes anymore. If I like really try to push it a little bit, I'm like feeling my back a little bit. It's like, oh man. This is what it's like to, to, to get old. Like, man, like stretching, like stretching is like sometimes the most painful thing in working out. It's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll bench, I'll do that stuff. But stretching, like that's, that's the worst, that sucks. Um, it's like when you had it like at school, I don't know if you did like how to be tested for the presidential um, thing and you had to like put your feet up against something and you had to see like how far you could get like past your feet. And that was when it started. It was like, no, I'm just trying to get like to my foot. Like, and that like hurts to get any way past that. They stretch. They stab needles into their back. This weird thing called acupuncture. Like, I go, oh, boy, that doesn't sound fun. Like put a bunch of meat or dry needling is another thing where it's like, man, stabbing themselves. A popular thing now is this thing called cryotherapy, which is you go into this chamber, it goes to about negative 200 to 300 degrees, and you just stand there for like a few, a few, like it goes like, it's super quick because you can't even endure it that long, but it's like, man, you're going to like just freeze everything, like freeze everything, and it's supposed to help with recovery or something. Yeah, do that cryotherapy. Then they go and they do cupping, you know, where they heat up those uh, metal, uh, not metal, the glass balls, and they put it on, and it looks like they've got, like, a bunch of bruises on their back. It's like, why are you doing this? Like, man, that sounds tough. And then it's like, oh, yeah, next we need to go sit in an ice bath for the next hour, and, yeah, because we thought cryotherapy wasn't cold enough. Let's sit in an ice bath for 30 minutes, and then after, let's go the other end of the spectrum. Let's have you sit in a sauna and sweat for, like, the next hour to, like, where it's like, why are they doing all this stuff? Hey, it's tough. Why are you putting yourself physically through this pain? I don't want to do that. Like, I'm not going to do acupuncture. I don't want people stabbing me in the back with these. Like, why are they doing that? Because they want to be a top-level athlete, top-level football player. Well, guess what? The difficulties and the trials that we go through as Christians are meant to produce top-level Christians, top-level, the best, the holiest, the most godly Christians. 
A common phrase that maybe you haven't heard before, uh, but maybe you leaders have heard before, it says that God gives his toughest soldiers his hardest battles. Have you guys heard that before? His toughest soldiers are his battles. I was thinking about that, and I really like how someone phrased it differently. I didn't come up with this, but I think it's better phrased this, that God creates his toughest soldiers through life's hardest battles. So it's not the tough soldier that God says, okay, yeah, you can endure this, so here I'm going to give you this. It's actually, no, hey, I want to create the toughest soldier, so what am I going to give you, not tough soldier, a tough battle, a tough trial to go through, because it's for your good in the end. Testing brings about endurance. First Peter 1, verse 7 says, why are we going through these trials? We're going to be grieved by these different things that we go through. Why? Verse 7 says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, it's going to test us, show what is my faith genuine. That's when it is really revealed. You want to know, some of you young Christians are like, man, I think I've trusted in Jesus. You want to know whether it's legit or not. Go through a difficulty. Go through a tough time. Well, did I abandon my faith and did I give up when I went through that tough time? Or was it shown to be legit? Was it shown to be real? Was I brought assurance? Verse 7 of 1 Peter 1 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It can be joyful during trials because it tests our faith. It can give us assurance as Christians. Oh, man, am I... Am I really right with God? Am I, have I completely trusted in him? Well, I can look back at my life and say, man, I've gone through some difficult things, and guess what? I, I, I continued trusting in him. I wasn't, oh, man, maybe I should give up. I'm, I'm going to get angry at God when I'm going through this tough thing and just abandon him altogether. No, it brings about an assurance. It also brings about the glory and praise and honor of God. It makes us more holy. We should focus, when we're going through these difficulties, on how can I be more holy? So whether you're going through a difficulty right now, say, how can I grow in holiness through this trial? Or if you're not going, growing, or not going through a trial, that should still be your attitude. <laughs> it doesn't change when you're going through a trial. It's like, okay, now I need to take it seriously. No, always we should be seeking to grow in holiness. Think about Bible reading, prayer, being more connected with your small group, serving. How can you grow in holiness fighting sin? What are the sins in your life that you need to take more seriously and say, I'm, I'm done with this sin? How can I create a more robust prayer life? Pray more often. Pray not just about myself. Pray for others. How can I be more connected with my small group? Praying for those in my small group. Being interested in the lives of those in my small group. Getting to know my leaders. Being more devoted to Read the DBR, post on Flipgrid. How can I grow? These are avenues for us to w grow in greater holiness. Can we take that seriously? Can we see those difficulties and say, man, this is a, a challenge, this is an opportunity for me to grow? Because what often happens with a lot of Christians is when they go through a tough time, those things kind of decline. So, man, I'm going through a tough time, so I, I, I don't have time to read my Bible right now oh man, it's really tough right now, I just can't go to church. Or I don't want to pray because I'm angry at God for putting this tough thing in my life, so I'm not going to pray to him. And they kind of back away. I don't have time to serve. Rather, when we're going through a trial, we need that all the more. You need your small group all the more. You need church all the more. You going through a tough time and saying, I'm not going to go to church, and I know it's dependent 
upon your parents bringing you, but saying, oh man, when you get older, I'm not going to go to church when I'm going through a tough time. That's like you saying, I'm going to run a marathon and then you cut off your leg. It's like, good luck with that. <laughs> That's what happens when we say, I'm going to go through a tough t- a trial, but I'm going to neglect prayer. I'm going to ne- ne- neglect Bible reading. I'm not going to show up to church. I'm not going to be devoted during small groups. You're not helping out yourself. You're hurting yourself. Rather see it as, man, this is an opportunity for me to grow in holiness, more like Jesus, be greater, and a more pure Christian, a refined believer. Focus on those things now and continue on with it when you're going through difficulties. See those trials as a challenge. When I think of challenges, I think of my good buddy Joseph, Joseph who leads worship. And he always loves a challenge. And if you know anything about Joseph, a couple things that you know, I mean, he's great at worship, but he loves to eat. Joseph loves food. Like, it, 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 like and he's the guy you want to take to Korean barbecue when you're trying to get like your money's worth. Like, he is the guy. Sign him up. Like, he'll eat a ton. I mean, he's like so active, so he like burns off all the calories. That's why he's like so, so jacked, but he's like, loves to eat, can eat a ton of food. Like, it's crazy how much food he can eat. It's like, man, that's like how much I ate today, and that's one meal for you? Like, okay, like a lot of food. Um, He's not being gluttonous. He's working it out. So don't make it seem as if like, you know, he's not overweight. So it's not, yeah. Anyways, (laughs) eats a lot of food. I remember junior year of high school, we were on a missions trip in Guatemala. And we all kind of know, hey, if you challenge Joseph to something, you know, he's going to take on that challenge. And he loves food. And um, Pastor Lucas, who was leading the trip, knew this. And uh, we get to Guatemala and uh, we're kind of looking at the house that we're staying at for this missions trip. And there on the counter, there's these bags of black beans. And these bags are like this big, filled with just black beans. They're like popping at the seams. They're like um, almost like vacuum seal, like that much of just condensed black beans. Pastor Lucas looks at that and he says, hey, Joseph, I bet you can't eat all those black beans in that bag. (laughs) And if you know anything about Joseph, Joseph's like, bring it on. <laughs> Joseph rips it off. I think he just like pulled a knife over and like slice it open. And he's like, bring on this challenge. Like, I'm going to show that I can eat these black beans. He's just devouring these black beans. <laughs> so disgusting watching. But he was like, bring it on. He saw it as a challenge and he said, you know what? I'm going to take it face on. Bring it on. I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's go, black beans. It's like, I don't know if he's had black beans since. No, he's had black beans since. Can that attitude of, man, I'm eager for this challenge, can that be true when we're going through difficulties? I know it's really hard, and I don't mean to diminish the difficult things that we're going through in any way, because it is tough. It's really hard. Some of you guys have gone through difficult things. But can we see it a little bit like an opportunity, like a challenge? And can we embrace that challenge? Well, what's the challenge? To, To grow in holiness. Say, yeah. This is an opportunity, a challenge for me. Man, am I going to come out more, more refined? Is this going to expose a sin that, that I'm going to put off? Or is that trial going to lead to me being more anxious, angry, frustrated, dis- discouraged? No. See it as a challenge and rather pursue holiness all the more in those difficult things. Embrace the challenge. Be ready for when it comes and respond to it with joy. Let's pray. Yes, God, we ask that we would respond to trials rightly. God, I know it's a difficult thing to pray, but use whatever it takes to make us more holy. Unfortunately, we know with that prayer, 
the, the result that's going to come is a difficult situation. But God, if that brings us out to be more refined and more pure in your sight, we ask that that would be the case and that we would pass the test. We wouldn't fail the different trials that come, but they would bring assurance because we are steadfast and resolved and faithful to you. Help us to do that this week. Help us to prepare ourselves for when they come in the future or even respond to them well now if we're going through them. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.